0: Child of God, do you find things in this life to be complicated? It seems like in the world around us, things get more and more complicated every day. But I'm happy to tell you, child of God, that in the Bible, the message of salvation is simple. Jesus saved his people from their sins. In today's sermon, we look at this simple message and the admonition that we have from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians to not be removed from the simplicity that's in Christ by the deception that's in the world. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. For weak and worthless, oh, I am, I- I get the question, what do primitive Baptists believe or what sets them apart from most other denominations out in the religious world? But I guess if uh, I had to answer that question in regards to eternal salvation, my answer would be that the doctrine that we preach is simple. Simple. And 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 I'll be honest with you, I need a simple doctrine. I, I don't need I've got enough complications in my life. I don't need complications when it comes to my eternal salvation. Out in the world there's a lot of different complicated systems taught about how to get to heaven. But over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul, in writing to these Corinthians, says this about them. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That word simplicity, if you do a... A study from Oxford English Dictionary or from the Greek word that it comes from. It means singleness, singleness. There's, there's a verse over in Matthew on the sermon, from the Sermon in, on the Mount in chapter six and verse 22 where Jesus says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. And the idea there is, is not that you just got one eye but it's it's that your vision is just focused on one thing. The idea is an uncomplicated view. It's not mixed up with a whole bunch of other things. It's not mixed up with works. It's not mixed up with baptisms. It's not mixed up with other type of teachings that we find out of the world, but our view is single. eyes single our view of christ and what he did on the cross is a simple view and i want to say to you if it got any more complicated than that i wouldn't know how to preach it anyway (laughs) so praise god it's a simple message i need simplicity i need that old saying keep it simple keep it simple that's what i need in my life you know our worship here is simple It's, it's just preaching praying and singing it's the less complications the better there's some complicated worship systems out there. There's some high liturgical uh, type of, of worship that, that has certain, uh, certain rituals you've got to follow and certain, uh, certain things you've got to do as part of the service and a certain way you've got to approach things and certain garments you've got to wear. I, I tell you, beloved, I, the church of God has never needed that. I, 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 can't, I, I couldn't function in that scenario. I'm too... As I said, I've got enough complications in my life that I don't need any other complications when it comes to church. What I need in church is just a simple worship service of preaching, praying, and singing. And that's what I found here at Zion Church. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. You know, the first New Testament church service was pretty simple, wasn't it? They all gathered in an upper room at the end of the Passover. And Jesus himself taught them and instituted a new service. That's the first New Testament church service. You know, they were to that point observing the law. And they finished up the last Passover. I like that. It's the last Passover. <laughs> Not just the last one uh, that they observed. It's the last one ever. The last one God observed and, 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 and gave any uh, uh, credence to, you see. Because after that, Christ died on the cross. But what he did at the end of that Passover is he instituted the communion service, which we had the the unleavened bread and the wine uh, sitting on that table there, separated from each other to signify the death of Christ. And he gave it to them to drink and to eat. And it says when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. They didn't have to have a big choir or an orchestra or a some other kind of big building they were just in a small well it was a large upper room for that day but i'm sure nothing compared to what we're in today you know the first century church didn't need all those things they didn't need a building a choir loft a orchestra they didn't need any complications and, and i want to say to you as a church and to those of you visiting as well that that this building is wonderful. We're so thankful for this building. I'm pr- I'm, I can't tell you how, how many times I rejoice in the Lord that he's done this for us. But, but if this building were to be blown away tomorrow, this building is not the church. We don't need a building to worship. In fact, after the business meeting this, mo- this morning, on the second and fourth Sundays of every month, Brother Buddy, or one of us, primarily Brother Buddy, goes back into that little room back there and logs into Zoom and preaches for the Las Vegas Primitive Baptist Church that doesn't have a pastor right now. You know where they meet? They meet in their home. They don't have to have a big building. But you know what happens? The Spirit meets with them anyway. (laughs) The Spirit comes down anyway. And I've had some of the most blessed services meeting with those dear saints out there in their home. I love, don't give me, I'm thankful for the building. Praise God for the building. We ought, to, we ought to be thankful for it and take care of it. But if the building got blown away, we're still the church. We can meet out here on the pad. We can meet under the tree. We can, meet at, we can meet in the barn out there. See, the first century church needed no building. They didn't have, and you know, that makes it simple, doesn't it? They didn't have to have anything to help in the service. They just got together wherever they could and they praised the Lord and they prayed, and they heard preaching, and they fellowshiped together. But the worship is not really what I want to focus on tonight. What I really want to talk about tonight, for the time we have left, is the doctrine. There are some complicated systems of salvation out in the world. There are some systems of salvation that involve all kinds of steps and actions on the part of both men and the church most denominations in the religious world in the christian world teach that you must do something in order to go to heaven but something that i find really interesting and that over this past weekend when i was over in georgia uh, preaching i preached once but i listened about 10 or 12 sermons and it was such a great blessing to be in that fellowship that Ebenezer fellowship over there and this kept coming back to me as sort of a theme through the meetings about the simplicity that we have in Christ and one of the things that was pointed out and it just struck with me is that if you go to the denominations of this world that teach you must do something to go to heaven how many of them actually agree on what exactly they got to do There's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of disagreement out there. You know, there are those that say, well, in order to be saved eternally, you've got to exercise your faith and believe in the gospel, okay? Some say you've got to exercise your faith and believe in the gospel and confess it publicly, okay? Some say you've got to believe in the gospel, confess it publicly, and be baptized, Some believe that the way you're baptized is to be sprinkled or poured, and some believe that you've got to be dunked. So, you know, we take we believe that baptism is immersion. But there are those in the world that don't believe that. Some say that you've got to believe, confess, be baptized, and hang on. (laughs) Persevere to the end. Because if you don't, you'll die and go to hell. So which is it? Which is it? Which one of those is right? If if indeed we must do something. In order to be saved eternally. That sounds like a lot of confusion to me. That sounds like a lot of people out there are confused and can't agree and don't know. Back over in First Corinthians chapter 14. Chapter 14 is primarily talking about the speaking in tongues that was occurring in the apostolic church age. And by the way, tongues are not babbling. There is no such thing as unknown tongues. I know it says that, but what he's talking about in the Bible, they're unknown to the person who's speaking. Like if a a tongue is just a language. If I was to speak in an unknown tongue tonight, it means that myself, me, myself, who does not know French, would get up here. But if there was a Frenchman here who didn't understand English, even though I'm preaching in English, he would hear me in French. And see, something of that nature. It's, it's, a, it's a language, not babbling like we hear about today. But here he's talking about all the confusion that can occur when people are, uh, uh, when people are speaking in these tongues and people are, are, are speaking in these unknown tongues that aren't known to them. Uh, and he goes on to try to, uh, uh, to, try to uh, uh, correct the problem there. But over in verse 33, what I want to get to is this. It's not so much having to do with tongues. It's what he says in verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of all of the confused things that are out there. So if God is not the author of confusion, He must not be the author of all these confusing systems of salvation. You see... If God had made it such that we had to do something in order to go to heaven, logically speaking, just think about it from a rational standpoint, don't you think that He would have told us exactly what that was? Don't you think He would have said, okay, now I've done all I can do. Now here's steps one, two, three, and four, or eight, or ten, or twelve, or however many you want to put in there? Because if you put one, you might as well put ten. <laughs> But you put, these are the steps you have to follow in order to go to heaven. You know, I read about a man. I read about a man who came to Jesus with the very question on his mind that I'm asking tonight, or that we're dealing with tonight, about how to get to heaven. What is it that we must do to go to heaven? There was a rich young ruler over in Mark chapter 10. You might turn back with me over there just for a minute. We're told that uh, in verse 17 that, When Jesus was out there going around in this this area, he said, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, this is a man that's got some issues. He didn't come moseying along. He didn't come strolling down the path. He He didn't just have an afterthought and say, hey, this is an interesting philosophical question I've got. I think I'll go see what he knows. This man came running. This man came running and knelt at his feet. This was somebody who was struggling with this issue. Now, let me just say this, beloved. When I'm preaching up here tonight about the simple system of salvation that God has set up, I'm not putting down those that believe in some complicated system. I feel sorry for them. I have compassion for them because that system will never satisfy. It didn't satisfy the rich young ruler. Notice what he says. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, here's the place where if there's something for us to do, Jesus should have told us, right? He should have told this young man, okay, buddy, here it is. There's step one, step two, and three, and four. Now, now you're going to see here, we're going to talk about it in just a second, that he did did talk about some works. But one of the things you're going to find is that Jesus does this to us a lot. He did it a lot in in the Scriptures when he was here. He would answer people according to their way of thinking. This young man came to him thinking he had to do something. You know, I heard Sonny Powell say one time that if you'll reason out a heresy to its logical conclusion, it'll die a natural death. (laughs) You just keep going down that path and it it won't hold water, you see. And that's what Jesus is going to do here. But for the lack of time, first I want to skip down to verse 27 where he answers the question plainly. In verse 27, Jesus, after having talked to both the young man and his disciples, says, with men it is impossible. (laughs) With men it is impossible. Remember, the young man wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal life. He said, with men it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's beginning to get us to the point that we're going to end up with here in a minute about what we believe the Bible teaches about eternal salvation and that's that it's solely in the hands of God but notice let's go back just for a second here verse 18 he said well verse 17 he said what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life verse 18 Jesus said unto him why callest thou me good there's none good but one that is God I do I do believe the Lord was subtly putting him back in thought to what we now know is the new birth he's He said, so you're coming here running to me. You're struggling with this. Why? Why? Why are you you, uh, calling me good in the first place? Why are you struggling with this? Beloved, that's one thing I want to ask to you tonight. Do you understand that a dead alien sinner does not struggle with eternal life? A dead alien sinner is not interested in eternal life. One who's never been born again has no interest in eternal life. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them for they are spiritually discerned. You see... This is a man who was concerned with his eternal destiny. And I want to say to you, praise God, I got something you can tell somebody who comes to you concerned about their eternal destiny. That's the best evidence that you'll ever have that they are already on the road to, the, uh, to eternal heaven. <laughs> That's the best evidence there is, the fact that they're struggling with it in the first place. There's no struggle in the heart of a dead alien sinner, but there's a struggle and a warfare in the hearts of those that have been born again. Jesus said, why do you call me good? <laughs> But then he noticed what he said. He begins to answer him according to his way of thinking. He said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. (laughs) So some will say, well, see there, that means you've got to do that to go to heaven. This rich young ruler had been doing that. Notice he said, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. This rich young ruler had been doing that. He had been observing these Ten Commandments, the the first nine at least. And this rich young ruler was not satisfied with that. And I want to say to you as plainly as I can with as much love in my heart, child of God, if you're trying to work your way to heaven by keeping the commandments, you will never be satisfied with that. You'll never have the peace that you need. Your your faith, that was Brother John Morgan preached about this morning, faith, having faith in the finished work of Christ is what gives us peace. It doesn't bring us us eternal salvation, even the faith that we exercise. But the faith that we exercise can give us assurance of that eternal salvation. He answered, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then, Then it says, one Jesus said, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. You see, Jesus knew what his problem was, what his primary problem was. This rich young ruler didn't have a problem robbing banks. He didn't have a problem testifying falsely under oath. He didn't have a problem killing people. He had a problem with, with covetousness. And if we'd be honest about it ourselves, that's probably our biggest problem too. You know, I don't, I'm not just all that tempted when I drive down to Reform to, to pull over there in the parking lot of West Alabama Bank and run in with a gun and demand money. You know, that just that's not my sin that besets me. <laughs> Maybe there are some that do. Maybe there's, you know, I, I don't tend to get in fights and, and, and try to kill people. You know, I don't, I, it's, but there, there are other sins that beset me and others that I know beset you, but one that gets us all is the sins of the heart, you see. And he could keep all those outward commandments. And he had, he had done a pretty good job, apparently, because he, we're not told that he was some kind of, uh, uh, had some kind of bad reputation. He was a rich young ruler, and he had, he had tried to keep these commandments. But Jesus said, go sell your goods and give to the poor. And he went away sorrowing. It says, he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. You know, I can, I can put on a pretty good front for you. And you can put on a pretty good front for me. You know, you may look at my life and say, boy, he's got it all together. I look at some people I know, and I think, man, they've got it all together. I don't know how they keep their, their family in such good shape and their lives in such good order. But, but I want to tell you, every one of us is lying. Every one of us is lying about how we've got it all together because none of us have it all together. None of us do. We may think somebody does. They quit, quit looking around you. Quit looking at somebody else. So, oh, I wish I'll never. I've heard this so many times, I'm tired. I'll never be as good a Christian as so and so. Well, I, I hope you're a better Christian than so and so. See, they're not the standard, though. That's the thing. They're, the standard is Christ. This man didn't. He looked like he had it all together, but he didn't. But, but by the way, <clears throat> just to. Lest we you say I'm leaving something out, I did leave something out in reading this. Notice in verse 21 there. This rich young ruler who went away grieving, and who many in the world would say must have died and gone to hell because he didn't hold on, he didn't let go of those things, he didn't persevere. Says Jesus, beholding him, loved him. So you know where the rich young ruler is today? He's in heaven. You know why the rich young ruler's in heaven? It's not because he kept all the commandments. It's not because he got over his covetousness one day. It's because Jesus loved him. Which brings me to the most important thing I suppose I can say tonight. Which is that while the world's systems of salvation may be complicated, the Bible's system of salvation is simple. It's simple. Matthew one twenty one sums it all up in a very short little phrase. He says, he shall save his people from their sins. Period end of story. (laughs) Aren't you glad it's that way? Because I find myself to be like the rich young ruler sometimes. I have things in the world I don't want to let go of. I have things in the world that afflict me and that that bother me and bring me down. I'm like so many that I read about in the Word of God that are are not uh, uh, doing all the things that they should. You see, we we do not have it all together, but praise God, Jesus had it all together. He took care of it on the cross. Christ did it all. That's why He didn't leave us this set of steps to follow. I know the world, as I said, is complicated out there, all kinds of different steps. You don't read about Jesus ever giving one step for any man to follow. Oh, there's a lot of things we ought to do to serve him because he has saved us eternally. But in order to become a child of God, there's not one step given. You know why that is? I just quoted it just a few minutes ago. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, that is the one who has only been born in nature and has never been born again. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. The one who is dead in his sins, that person who does not have a new nature, has no interest in the things of God. I've said this before, that he, he, we're in such a state in nature that we would not come to him if we could, and we could not come to him if we would. We're utterly unable because we're dead. You know, Jesus, another thing about the scripture that I'm convinced of, God's not playing hide the ball. He's not, he's not trying to obscure things where we can't figure them out. You know, why? Did, over, in the first, over in John chapter 3, the very first eight verses there, he, he's talking to a man named Nicodemus. He uses three things to illustrate the new birth. He uses the womb, he uses water, and he uses the wind. You know, there's a reason he calls it a new birth. You know, in other places it's called regeneration, but he uses that new birth because he knew Nicodemus would understand that. We know what birth is. We know what happens when somebody's born, and we know that the child being born has nothing to do with the day or the hour. It's not an exercise of his will. When the time comes for that child to be brought forth from the womb, the child doesn't have the option of saying, well, you know, I don't think today is a good day. I'm just going to stay where I'm at. That's not the way it works. The birth, he knew Nicodemus would understand about birth. He also knew that Nicodemus, being a rabbi and a teacher in Israel, would understand that the water there is also a symbol and a type of the Holy Spirit. You go back to, I think it's the 36th chapter of Ezekiel. He talks about that, and he uses the Spirit and the water interchangeably. He knew that in that day he would understand that, and he also knew that everybody knew about the wind. Now, when you tell me about somebody who can harness the wind... Then I might change my view that the Holy Spirit has to have help and born in one again. But until then, see, the wind blows where it listeth. And you can't not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. You know, that's the wind. (laughs) That Holy Spirit is like the wind. And that's the Holy Spirit. They can born one again who's yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the children of God on the road to Damascus. And strike him down. That's the same Holy Spirit who's like the wind that can blow into the womb of of John the Baptist's mother and cause him to leap for joy in his mother's womb. that's the same Holy Spirit that's like the wind that can blow upon the heart of a thief on a cross who was cursing and mocking Christ. Listen, there's not one good thief and one bad thief. There's two bad thieves. But something happened to one of those bad thieves, and that thief began to see something that the other thief never did see according to our account of it at least. He was born again right there on the cross, not from some preacher preaching or a Bible tract given to him. He wasn't baptized, so that puts baptism out, doesn't it? You see, that's what he's telling us here. It's simple. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, probably the most succinct statement of the gospel right here. Remember what I said? Let's just keep it simple. Verse 24, John chapter 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. That's about as simple as it gets, isn't it? (laughs) He doesn't say that if you hear my word and believe on him, you will have everlasting life or and you will pass from death unto life. He says everyone that you find who hears the word and believes on him already has everlasting life. See, it's so simple. He, he lays it out there. So you find somebody who's struggling with their sin, who has heard about the Christ of Calvary, and, and sees, says, you know, I think I, 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 I agree with that. I believe in that. And, and sometimes they'll come down to the front of a church, and they'll say, now you've got to do something else. You've got to pray the sinner's prayer, which is not found in the Scripture, by the way. You've got to do something like confessing, him, then you've got to do all these things, whatever you add to it. Beloved, that's not what Jesus said. He said, the ones that hear and believe are born again. They're already children. They're already regenerated. And notice, he goes on to tell us how it happens. Verse 25, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. I love that statement and it was put in such a glorious perspective this weekend by one of the elders that preached over there in this at this fellowship I went to. Think about what's happening here. Jesus is telling his disciples. Jesus is here as a man. He is physically on this earth and he's sitting there preaching to his disciples and telling them about the new birth and he's saying that It is my voice that causes the dead to live. And as a matter of fact... As we sit here right now speaking in person on the other side of the world in China somewhere that you don't even know about, I'm speaking to one of my children, one of my elect children and borning them again. And somewhere over in North America that nobody's ever heard about, there's some Aztec Indian or Incan Indian or somebody like that that I'm speaking to and causing them to be born again even as we speak. Because as we know, the children of God, the elect children of God are out of every, every kindred and nation and tongue and tribe. Praise God, it's not just those that have ever heard the gospel. Because that's such a narrow number. (laughs) That's so limited compared to all of the people that have ever lived. Jesus said in Revelation that there are a multitude that no man can number. You know, the beauty of this too is, I know, praise God, our Supreme Court has made a change in that awful ruling that held sway for 49 years, Roe versus Wade. But you know what? I don't stay up nights worrying about the eternal destiny of those little aborted babies that, that, whose lives were taken because I know the God who can speak to the babe in the mother's womb, even as the abortioner's scalpel may be coming his way and born him again and take him home to be with him forever. I love that. I love that my God is not limited. By my preaching, because praise God for that, because my preaching is, I I tell you, when I leave a meeting like I left this weekend, I feel like I need to turn in my preaching credentials because there was so many good messages and so many better preachers than me. And here I come trying to act like I'm some kind of preacher, but praise God, it doesn't matter how bad a preacher I am. It doesn't matter how much I mess it up. Praise God. He is going to save his people from their sins. And that's the simple message of eternal salvation that the Bible teaches and that we believe here at this church. The simplicity of the gospel. He said, I don't want you to be removed from the simplicity that's in Christ. He said, you know, there was a time when the devil, in the form of the serpent, beguiled Eve, made her think there was something she had to do to attain godhood. to attain status equal with God. You know, that's the devil. I don't mean this in a harsh or critical way, but that's the devil is behind all of the preaching out there that's complicated and, and has anything to, to teach that man has to do something. I mean, think about it. There's only ever been two messages preached in the history of the world. Back over in the, third, in the first, second chapter rather of, um, of Genesis, when, when God told Adam not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Over in the third chapter, the serpent said, thou shalt not surely die. And that's the only two messages that have ever been preached. Either man is dead in trespasses and in sins and needs a complete salvation from a complete Savior, or he's not quite dead and he can do something about it. I think I'm going to go with the one God preached. I want to go with the message God preached because it's the simple message that Jesus Christ came into this world to save his people from their sins and he accomplished it. He accomplished it. John 19 and verse 30 as he hung there, suspended between heaven and earth on that cross, as his life was about to end, as he was about to dismiss his spirit and give up the ghost, he cried out, it is finished. And beloved, it was finished. Salvation has been paid for by Christ. He saved his people from their sins. And that's the simplicity that's in Christ. And that's what I desire for you to maintain in your lives. And see, it, make, it makes a difference because if it's not that simple, that means we can mess it up. If it's more complicated than that and it involves me, I may, I may get it wrong. I may not be sincere enough. I may not be strong enough in my efforts. And, and so that song we sang earlier about when I go home, that song about the glorious resurrection that's coming and how it always should be ever present before us, It just might not be certain for me if the message of salvation is not so simple because if the message of salvation is it's Jesus Christ plus something you've done, then I'll sure mess it up because I mess everything up I touch, (laughs) just about everything. But praise God, it's a simple message that Jesus Christ saved his people and we will be with him one day. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. that's zionpbc b c one eight four seven 8 at gmailcom or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L-at-gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.